All right, looks like we've got a couple of people coming in. We'll give them another few seconds before we get started. And oh, welcome, everyone, to the session on business intelligence and interoperability in healthcare and life sciences specifically. We are tremendously excited to have you all here, and I'm especially looking forward to sharing several of the impactful partner examples of organizations that are building innovative solutions that really have that flavor of next generation business intelligence on AWS. Fundamentally, we all know how trying the healthcare, the, the care experience can be for everyone. Frequently, it's disconnected data, it's lack of connectivity, it's lack of quality of information that we share along the entire continuum from R&D to care delivery. So what we really think we see today is that we, have a we are in a transformative moment in the history of this industry where on, on, in the cloud, by the better, through better use of data and enablement of decisions uh, in healthcare and life sciences, we can truly start delivering better patient outcomes. Let's also not forget that there is a significant market opportunity, a business opportunity for partners who work with us and innovate on the platform. At AWS, we provide the largest and most reliable platform that allows you to go, go to market globally fast, process vast amounts of data, capitalize on an increasingly sophisticated set of tools from machine, machine learning, deep learning, artificial intelligence, and uh, a lot of security and compliance automation tools to truly deliver differentiated solutions for the industry. To share just a couple of numbers, when you think about the size of the opportunity that is in front of us, it is truly significant. And what does that mean for partners that, that build for this industry? In healthcare, you can build digital solutions, you can build patient engagement tools, you can develop a vast amount of interoperability functionality that is very much needed in this, um, in this ver industry vertical. And we're going to hear from two partners today that have highly impactful examples, hc1.com and Merck, are going to share their experience connecting disparate types of data, diverse data, and truly delivering decision support tools to uh, providers and um, others who need them. On the life sciences side, again, this is just uh, scratching the surface, the projected life sciences uh, multi-billion spend uh, by 2019, and increasingly large proportion of that spend is becoming cloud. And the more we can drive the functionality of pharma R&D, medical device R&D, towards those modern development and discovery tools, the faster we're going to de deliver innovative products to patients, the more impactful the business decisions are going to be made by those companies. And uh, Deloitte is going to share later um, an example of, the, of their real-world evidence platform and the types of decisions and analytics and um, business intelligence that it can provide to a pharma business. A couple trends that we're seeing um, across the sector, uh, working with a large number of partners and customers uh, worldwide. First of all, compliance and healthcare life sciences is finally starting to recede as a major barrier to adoption of the cloud. 
for this industry. Um, in life sciences, we all know that GXP is a must-have, and we are working very hard specifically to enable partners and customers that build in, in, in this vertical to remove those barriers at scale. So in life sciences, we, a couple examples, we have recently uh, launched uh, e-learning capabilities that allow both partners and customers to educate themselves and educate your customer base on how to implement compliance on AWS. We are also working closely with partners like SAP and have recently published the GXP SAP HANA on AWS uh, Quick Start, again, that can help you deploy faster, that can help you go to market faster. In healthcare, privacy, uh, HIPAA, high trust, GDPR, privacy law in EMEA and other geographies are increasingly important, and we, we recognize that and we build for that as well. And important, just as important as removing the barriers is it's important to recognize where the customer demand is coming from. We see a tremendous amount of interest in building connected health and industrial IoT platforms on the, on the cloud. So in, and the range of applications is very broad uh, from patient engagement applications, adherence and compliance are a big deal in both the pharma world and the parent provider world. Uh, to greener manufacturing, to introducing IoT and sensors in the, in the supply chain and um, other business processes along the, along the value chain of pharma. In interoperability, we're seeing a lot of activity right now. Some of the interesting trends that are taking place include blockchain, and we have partners such as PocketDoc and others that are building specialized blockchain solutions for healthcare to help tackle some of those very complicated problems. Um, and also, we all see a lot of new business models co-evolving with technology. Telehealth is just one example. There are many, many others. So the, if there is one thing that you remember from the session today, it's, it's really time now to innovate and to get a lot of work done in healthcare because the opportunity is tremendous. The diversity of solutions that um, need to take place is uh, tremendous as well, so no one player is going to be able to solve for all of that. And we really look forward to working with our partner ecosystem to, to bring those to life. Ultimately, for many of us who have been in this industry for decades, it all comes down to the patient. So patient is always in the middle. We're looking to deliver better patient outcomes a lot of pieces of the uh, ecosystem need to come together to make that possible. On the healthcare side, we really need improved physician support tools. We're gonna talk about that later today. On the life sciences side, there is targeted R&D, there is a better use of real world data, there is an ability to use high volumes of data and innovate and not be hampered by just the and, and not be overwhelmed by the amount of data that is becoming available, but at the same time makes it more difficult to derive insights. And patients are be becoming much more active owners of what happens to their health. They can share their information with physicians and receive op opportunities to, 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 to change their behavior in a data-driven way. In life sciences, they have a chance to share their patient information to inform R&D. For all of that to take place, though, 
the interoperability piece needs solving for, and lower friction interaction and interfaces are also very important, both for physicians and for patients in particular. One example I want to share um, uh, before, we, before we introduce some of our partners here is the innovation challenge that we partnered on with Merck earlier this year, which was focused on stimulating the development of new solutions to use voice and AWS uh, voice capabilities to m improve the lives of patients with type 2 diabetes. We were very excited about the amount of innovation that came through. Uh, we had 96 submissions. We had five finalists that um, have developed prototypes that show how transformative those types of solutions can be. And um, we, uh, we really look forward to, I, to both building on that and to stimulating innovation in, in um, similar ways with many other partners and with other on other topics. Now, moving towards um, an R&D example, I would like to invite on stage Dan Hausman from Deloitte, who will share their experience with Converge Health platform. Hi, everyone. This is a, I'm Dan Hausman. I'm the Chief Technology Officer at Converge Health by Deloitte. Um, many of you guys know Deloitte as a consulting business, but over the past five to six years, we've been investing heavily in trying to take the expertise that are in the, the minds of our most valuable resource, our consultants who are experts in a wide variety of fields, and to translate them into capabilities that, that clients can use efficiently through products. And the, the cloud itself has become one of the driving forces that's enabling us to do this because we no longer have the complex constraints of different environments and different areas where we need to deploy things. We can use DevOps to rapidly replicate the things that we're building and be able to take that expertise and use it to provide solutions in the analytics domain. We've, we've particularly focused on analytics and patient engagement because those are areas where there's usually a lot of gaps. You know, most groups do transactional applications like SAP, um, but there's generally going to be a big gap in the tools that are being used that are normally bespoke for analyzing data sets and managing data sets. And in particular, an area of this bespoke content is looking at real-world data. We presented yesterday with Celgene, who's one of our clients, and they're using a product we built called Converge Health Miner. Uh, Miner's basically a data lake in a box, but all of the analytic tools that are needed to do the kind of queries that you're looking at for things like comparative effectiveness research, um, being able to do things like patient journey analysis. To give you an idea of, of what kind of benefits they have gotten from a tool like this, um, there was an analysis that they have called a patient journey analysis. It took them about three months to develop it with their data sciences team using R scripts. Um, we took that tool, put it into the platform we're building, um, got it down to being able to run. Keep in mind, we're, we're running against billions of records of healthcare data and claims data sets like Truven and Optum, and those kinds of content, to running in about three days. We then went in to optimize it and converted from using our studio to using a, a toolkit called um, SparklyR, which then allowed us to move to Spark so that we could then scale up to run the same job in three hours. So we can condense down the kind of work people are doing in three months down to three hours, and then we can translate across that for many different groups, all of which are doing that kind of real-world data analytics. Um, but a patient journey analysis is sort of just the beginning. I mean, that will tell us, for example, um, if a patient was diagnosed with a disease, and then they were treated with a first-line medication, imagine it's a, an antidepressant like an SSRI, 
and then they're later going to go to a second-line treatment, and that pharmaceutical company has that second-line treatment. The patient journey analysis is just going to show us in a, a tool like a Sankey diagram what the path is of all of those things. What they really are interested in knowing is how can they get insight into which paths are being taken by whom and why so that they can use that to drive either new biomarkers, maybe even uh, synthetic biomarkers from the data they're looking at to help educate physicians to prescribe their drug for a certain type of patients, or even to try and figure out is there a whole new class of patients that could benefit. And so we've been moving to the next stage, working with the scale we can get off of AWS to build out this deep miner capability where we decided, hey, if we want to figure out better content, we have to move into this machine learning space, not just doing comparative analyses. Um, and we decided to run an experiment because we're data scientists. And so the experiments we've been running over the past year have been with two life sciences companies asking and, and answering the questions that they have. And we've learned quite a bit. I can, I can confidently say now that we're using both deep learning and um, traditional machine learning in a set of different methods. And what we found is we have to be able to use all of those different techniques in an ensemble. Because in order to predict better in a deep learning environment, we don't have good transparency into exactly what the features are. We need to use these traditional type tools, things like linear regressions, which tell us exactly which features matter. And when we're done, we get to strong predictions in deep learning, and we can start getting into these insights they're interested in to drive out the next generation. So we're going to be taking this deep minor tools that we've been building out as an accelerator, translating in with our clients to the next generation, which will be a product that they can then utilize using the AWS platform. And we're continuing to scale it up with, with some of the technologies like Spark, as well as the AWS machine learning kits that keep coming out that are helping us to accelerate that journey. Another product that we've introduced to the market recently is um, Converge Health Safety. And so much like we're looking at real-world data sets for helping groups to bring their products to market, there's a tremendous need to be able to meet regulatory demands. Um, as Oksana mentioned, you know, safety is a complex space, and so is clinical because we have to meet regulatory guidelines from bodies like the FDA, the EMA, and need GXP-compliant capabilities. We've been able to build on top of AWS and the Converge Health Safety solution uh, a system that is a managed service which means a client can bring us their data. We have a fully GXP-compliant system that allows us to, to run capabilities like aggregate reporting. And so an aggregate reporting problem um, is basically where um, the client has a number of case reports, maybe a million reports per year if it's a large group, um, maybe 250,000 reports per year if it's a smaller group, and they need to be able to report up through these periodic uh, safety update reports to all of the regulatory bodies. It's a problem that hasn't been solved for most of the safety products, and so we built an application working in conjunction with SAP HANA, um, AWS, and custom capabilities on top to be able to do the selection of the appropriate components that need to be reported, that the patient cases, and then all the way out to be reporting them in the structured formats on a schedule to the regulatory bodies. Um, you can see here we have a, a first customer announcement that came out recently with Daiichi Sanyo. Um, they're deploying the system and in, in going into production in, in, in the near future. Um, we'll be having another four to six client announcements in the whole suite of safety in the next year. And it's not just this space of um, aggregate reporting that we're working at. We're also working in areas of cognitive case processing, which is, which is again using machine learning, but here we're using a different type of machine learning. 
Here we're trying to solve the problem that when we bring in case reports, the reality is they're coming in in all sorts of formats. They come in as PDFs, they come in as faxes, they come in as text, they might come in as a call or an email. Um, the truth is it costs $125 per case. I think there's a million cases per year, so do the math. It's a $125 million problem if you're trying to you know, calculate all the, those cases and process them through. It's an unsustainable thing without having some kind of efficiency. And so with the cognitive case processing tools, we're using OCR, NLP, semantic labeling tools, machine learning and training to be able to connect things. We're working to be able to read the label and apply some of the logic within the label to classify whether or not this is an adverse event that was expected or unexpected based on what was already known about the drug. And we're looking to take out $20 per case. So if we take out $20 per case, that's still a pretty big opportunity of something like a $20 million cost savings that our clients can get. So you can see we're very focused on taking these real issues that we can impact with a package capability, um, building something, and, and often we've already solved this problem more than once 10 to 15 years ago in a custom solution, and package it up with managed services using the cloud so that we can get to that scale that's really gonna help them. So thank you very much. I'd like to hand it back to Oksana. Thank you, Dan. Um, you can keep the mic. I've got, I've got the mic. Thank you. Um, yeah, so thank you, Dan. And really, um, you know, we're delighted to partner with Deloitte. Um, it's been such a fruitful collaboration, and um, we are really looking forward to continuing and to doing a lot more to, to take the platform globally and to really help um, Deloitte amplify and make a difference. Um, for so many of their pharma clients. I wanna say a few words about how we work with partners. And by the way, on the previous page, um, one don't want to, to go unnoticed that Deloitte is an, a competency holder, which was um, a, a big undertaking. So we are delighted to welcome them into the life sciences technology competency. And um, you know, that's, really the type of engagement and the type of commitment that allows us to differentiate and invest in partners that, um, that build with us um, and on AWS. We, we currently have two competency programs for healthcare and life sciences, a healthcare competency and a life sciences competency, and there are consulting and technology tracks in each. And um, again, when you think about the type of a solution that you may be developing or the type of a customer problem you're trying to tackle, the variety and diversity of what we need to do in this industry is tremendous. And we welcome companies developing in all of these areas, anything from voice interfaces that we already mentioned to manufacturing and supply chain, IoT, um, and the amount of work that needs to be done beyond the solutioning aspect of it, the service delivery aspect is tremendous as well. Um, even looking at the demand that is out there in building around migration of systems of record and um, a variety of infrastructure projects that need to take place that can really truly only be delivered by um, a partner or uh, a, a business associate that is conversant in this industry and understands regulatory and other considerations, the opportunity is uh, significant and growing. So what is the competency program? It's our way to recognize partners that 
uh, first of all, have some have, have capability, have proven customer success, and have some secret sauce for the industry. And those are the partners with whom we're going to spend the most time and effort in helping them grow. Fundamentally, the way we, work, we support you falls into three main categories. There is technical enablement, joint go-to-market, and sales alignment activities. And um, we can talk a little bit more later about the different flavors that those activities can take place. But we are prepared to put resources and to wrap um, customized plans around partners that, um, that, show, that uh, show, show their level of competency and dedication to the platform. Just a couple examples from uh, partners that are uh, competency holders today. They highlight the fact that the, this is a quality, a seal of quality recognition, if you will. Those are the partners that our sales teams know to introduce to their customers. They know that there is a degree of validation and confirmation of, 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 of their achievement that stands behind the competency. Um, and, and our partners also highlight the, the sorts of things that we can do together, building brand awareness, uh, running demand generation campaigns, uh, and uh, obviously in an industry that's as diverse as ours, uh, those can be also highly customized and diverse. With that, I would like to invite on stage our next speaker, Brad Bostic, the CEO of hc1.com, will talk to us about their experience tackling really complex and diverse data out in the real world. Hi there, I'm Brad Bostic, CEO of HC1. Thank you, Oksana. So at HC1, we've built the world's leading healthcare relationship management platform and we're focused on unlocking answers to solve some of healthcare's biggest challenges with AWS. So what would you say if I told you that a completely preventable epidemic will kill over 60,000 people in the United States this year? This is equivalent to roughly six fully loaded jumbo jets going down every single month. I mean, this is big. This is a really big problem. What I'm referring to is the opioid epidemic and the abuse that's occurring with prescription drugs in the United States. We're seeing it, it's a major headline and it's costing billions of dollars and it's costing tens of thousands of lives. And there's a lot going into this to try to help solve this problem, to address this problem. In fact, the federal government has deployed over a billion dollars in uh, the last 12 months or so out to the states with a goal uh, on putting in place programs at the state level to help combat the issues that are leading to this catastrophic issue. So while that's extremely helpful, unfortunately the numbers tell a story that's, that's very dire, which is what's happening is not enough. Over 64,000 people died from drug overdoses in the U.S. in 2016, and as you can see, this is the hockey stick uh, kind of growth that you really don't want to see when you're talking about public health and a public health crisis. So how can we go out and get ahead of this issue? Today, there's a lot of focus on rehabilitation uh, treatment centers. Uh, there's a lot of focus on understanding what's being prescribed and what's being dispensed. But the entire middle of the story that happens between prescriptions being written and people going into rehab, it's a bit of a, a black hole. Nobody can really get their arms around what is actually happening. What drugs are people actually taking today in our communities? 
And this is a really tough problem to figure out. If you look at how healthcare works, everyone in here has some relationship to healthcare, and you know that this data is really siloed. And it's spread out in, in lots of different little fragments. So understanding what's going on with any given individual or a given geography or what drugs are actually showing up that are illicit, what drugs are showing up that are being used in a way that, that is appropriate, this is a really tough problem that we at HC1 set out to solve on the AWS platform. And we've, I'm proud to say, made a huge leap this week in announcing the HC1 opioid dashboard. The HC1 opioid dashboard is literally giving up to the minute visibility into drug positivity rates across the entire United States. It is a vast amount of data that we're ingesting and bringing together in an organized way, leveraging machine learning, uh, leveraging really high performance integration capabilities and analytics on top of that so that you can zero in and not just understanding what's being prescribed, but understanding across workplace settings, health settings, criminal justice settings, and regulated industries, what exactly is happening with positivity rates of these various drugs? Are people showing up with multiple drugs in their systems? And this is really about improving public health by leveraging massive amounts of data through the HC1 software system, which is the leader in healthcare relationship management and has been built from the ground up on AWS. So it boils this down to a view that for policymakers, uh, for anybody who is focused on public health, you can literally see a heat map that tells you all the way down to a given county or zip code, what are the trends that we're seeing? And it's not what trends did we see a year ago or a month ago or a week ago. This is literally what trends are we seeing today. So we're ingesting and generating these insights on billions of records, and we're serving it up in a way that is absolutely unprecedented. And I'm thrilled to say that our team has done a fantastic job at building and architecting this, and that AWS has been a fantastic partner for us in creating this solution. When we talk about vast sets of data, we're talking about over 5 billion diagnostic results that are coming from thousands of different lab locations. Uh, we're talking about all 50 states, over 51 million individuals that data has been brought into this in a de-identified manner to understand these positivity rates. Across 3.8 million providers, this is extremely rich. And it's not just something that we're talking about, it's something that we're actually delivering on. We're headquartered in Indianapolis, Indiana. And the state of Indiana has actually been one of the most progressive in trying to tackle the opioid epidemic. And it's for good reason, and I'll talk about a specific story on that. Uh, Darshan Shah, who's pictured here, has really been spearheading an effort to organize data across all these different agencies across the state government. So information that's coming from places like criminal justice labs, uh, from arrests, 911 data, overdose data, ER data, lots of different data sets, but all of that data is really to some degree old. So what we bring to the table is this live indicator that allows you to get pr predictive. So I can correlate things like what happened with different outbreaks of uh, different kinds of issues that were going on relative to these positivity rates. So when we look at Indiana, and this is unfortunately the case across the country, and you think about how this progression happens, it's not just about people taking pills for, to relieve pain. 
what happens is people end up starting with some kind of a drug, oftentimes that they may have been prescribed or may have gotten uh, that was uh, delivered through some kind of a prescription. And then they progress from that onto other things. And in this little tiny county called Scott County in the state of Indiana, we had this terrible occurrence uh, that was in national headlines last year, where starting with use of, of opioids that were more prescription in nature, that community progressed into illicit drugs, got into a lot of heroin needle sharing, and ultimately had a 533% increase in one year of HIV. It was 22 cases a week started showing up. And so the reason I bring this story up is it doesn't have to happen that way. If you have insight into what's happening across the population with respect to drug use and abuse across not just health, but other settings, you can actually build interventions, you can build education, you can build all kinds of programs and set policy that can help make sure that this kind of thing never happens. As a specific example, recently with the state of Indiana, the H2 on opioid dashboard identified that there's a significant growth in the use of fentanyl, which if you don't know what fentanyl is, it's really, really bad. It's something that you can take a pinch of it and it'll kill you. It's about 100 times more powerful than morphine and many times more powerful than heroin. And having an increase in this is a, an indicator of a lot of different things that uh, you can really take proactive steps to counteract. <coughs> so when I look at what we're doing with the H2 on opioid dashboard, and I look at the opportunity to unlock answers to solve this massive issue with opioid abuse and addiction, I can truly say that we're changing the world in a positive way, and in large part, that's because of the partnership that we've been able to build with AWS. So as an AWS healthcare competency partner, as you can tell from the talk here, we're seeing that we're innovating in ways that were really not possible before, and it's not just for the purpose of going to capture market share or, or grow, which is certainly important, but it's to go after these really big problems that have an impact on every single one of us. So thanks so much for your attention. Thank you, Brad. And um, I think this is just not only a great example of making a difference in a large scale and in a, in a, in, in a highly, uh, in an area that really needs a lot of work, but also for us, this is a great example of a true partnership in building out from scratch and helping uh, stand up such, um, such an interesting and important company uh, that you know, we're just delighted to partner with HC1. And you'll see the HC1 logo again on, on this slide um, among several, a number of other competency partners. So, so when you think about if you're a partner or a customer of AWS, these are the go-to trusted partners that we are developing and working with closely in the industry vertical. Um, in healthcare, uh, this, is, this is our blend of technology and consulting partners. In life sciences, um, you'll see Deloitte's accomplishments here as, as well as many other um, impactful and uh, companies that, that are doing meaningful work in healthcare. So when we talk about um, working closely with companies like these, what do we really mean? 
I've mentioned the three main pillars um, of enablement for partners before. Let's, let's just take a, a dive a little bit deeper. In technical enablement, we have partner solution architects that can work with you to make sure that the latest architecting principles and the latest services are, are used in the right way. We are always also looking for ways to scale, to do anything we do in a way that's repeatable, reproducible, and scalable. And cloud formation templates, quick starts, are some of the mechanisms through which we do this. So the example I mentioned before of GXP, SAP, HANA on AWS would be a great example of scaling a capability like that um, in life sciences. We're also working with a growing number of companies to jointly design for marketplace, to work on SaaS alignment programs, to find other ways to help you go to market, both design for those channels and then go to market um, accordingly. Joint go-to-market activities also can take an, a number of shapes from uh, consulting practice development and using best practices for maturing your offerings on AWS uh, that we've had the fortune of deriving from working with many, uh, many companies uh, building on us and delivering services uh, related to AWS stack. Uh, we are very interested in also now, now that the ecosystem of uh, companies in this vertical is growing, we're seeing more and more of a combustion chamber effect. Uh, consulting companies and technology partners uh, that really understand this industry are coming together to take joint solutions to market. And that's really a significant accelerator for all. And you know, we, we always think about the, the standard approaches, the webinars, publications, press releases, um, and uh, obviously continuing the growth of the ecosystem worldwide. And on the sales alignment side, I would just like to highlight a couple things. Um, integrated partner campaigns is something that we've started doing more of this year. So this is an opportunity for us to educate the field, to, uh, to deliver content jointly with partners, and then to have our teams generate leads and return qualified leads to partners. Um, and, and of course, the SaaS alignment program is another uh, very important program where uh, SaaS uh, companies are able to more closely uh, be jointly incented with our sales teams. So completing this circle, we've talked about uh, voice solutions, we've talked about uh, real-world data in R&D and using complex interconnected data sets uh, to solve the opioid crisis. Um, I think another example of a highly strategic partner to us, and you may not all be thinking of Merck necessarily as engaging in the partner mode. They're obviously very, very important, impactful customer um, of AWS. But what Merck and other pharmaceutical companies recognize is that digital digital solutions, digital offerings are becoming increasingly important to pharma. So we were delighted this year when Merck joined um, AWS Partner Network, the APN, as a technology partner. And um, in addition to the voice challenge that um, I've talked about, the uh, using voice services to improve the lives of patients with diabetes, uh, Merck is also doing a lot of exciting work um, in healthcare technology. So I'm going to ask Anna Kravitz from Merck to come up on stage and share with us what they're doing in infectious disease management. Thank you, Oksana. 
good afternoon, everyone. I think it's afternoon already, yeah? Um, just, you know, as a way to, you know, help me orient in, in the audience, um, can I get a show of hand of how many of you work in the uh, provider space, healthcare provider space? Um, a couple. <laughs> um, life's, uh, the, you know, pharma, biotech, you know, a few. Um, health IT companies, okay, more. And, um, you know, the rest, like IT and consulting, right? Sounds good. Um, so what I will, you know, talk um, about today is some of the work that we have been doing in our um, health services and solutions uh, division of, of the company that is focused on um, companies that are, you know, introducing new services or um, kind of um, evolving services uh, in healthcare. Um, with, you know, introduction of um, data and, and outcomes um, generation for those services. So, um, as Oksana mentioned, I work for Merck. Um, I do uh, business consulting in the company uh, as uh, a member of the office of the CIO uh, Planning and Innovation Organization, and uh, which I joined about, you know, four and a half years ago and um, kind of quickly, you know, uh, dove into the space of digital health. Um, I found it was a new space for me. Um, at that time, you know, there are people that have been working in the space for, for time, but I found it, you know, uh, fascinating and, um, so, uh, you know, a place and, and space that can have a tremendous impact on um, on the life and well-being, you know, not us as uh, only as individuals, but also um, you know us as a, a society. So with that, I um, you know one of my um, earlier kind of assignments there, you know, which was a great opportunity, was to work on huh, jumping a little too quick um, to work on um, standing up a new business. I know what's going on, but it's kind of self-advancing, um, which, um, you know, called Illum. Um, so for about three years, I served as um, chief information officer for that company, starting from, you know, the very beginning um, of that business and, um, you know, forming, uh, <laughs> I think, you know, it's going to be an, an interesting, uh, you know, exercise in, in trying to stay. Um, um, so, you know, standing up a, a new business that is a um, truly, you know, digital native business for us, you know, focused on um, bringing in data, focused on um, outcomes from the very get-go um, of, of that business, and, um, um, you know, pairing that with the deep knowledge that we have in the infectious disease space. We obviously um, have a you know, deep understanding of the um, disease biology, but we also conducted a um, number of you know, global studies to understand um, antimicrobial uh, resistance that you know, is um, you know, uh, kind of plaguing our world. Um, many of you probably have heard um, that if we you know, heard of superbugs, Right, um, that are evolving and um, um, you know quite you know what I think I'm gonna you know let it run and <laughs> find the right you know, slide when it's time for it. Um, um, so you know what what is happening is that um, ineffective um, antimicrobial prescribing is leading you know we're kind of like in the arms race with the. 
um, you know, between antibiotics and, and you know, bugs uh, and infections. Uh, and, um, um, you know, there is, you know, uh, I forgot who, who said that, but, you know, if it continues at that rate, if resistance continues growing at the rate it currently is, um, you know, time will, will come soon where we will be in the pre-penicillin age. Uh, where you know people could be dying from you know simple infections because um, just you know antibiotics will stop working, and um, um, that you know was the focus that you know uh, Loom um, started to um, kind of work on uh, to bring our knowledge uh, of of that space in you know uh, bringing better practices into acute care setting um, to. Um, you know, uh, drive, you know, better um, adherence to guidelines and, and the right, um, you know, ways um, to treat uh, infectious diseases and, and as big part of it, uh, the right antimicrobial prescribing. So let me, you know, get back to the slide that would be relevant at this point. Um, okay. Um, so, you know, there is um, a number of things that get in the way of um, uh, infectious disease programs, you know, being effectively implemented in, in hospitals. Uh, one of them is um, just difficulty to focus um, on, on the patients, on, on the ID, you know, management. And a lot of it is due to the fact that um, there is just not enough, um, you know, ID physicians. So if you think about, you know, who, you know, sees us in the hospital, it's, you know, more kind of general practitioners. But uh, there are, you know, unique um, kind of specialty, you know, knowledge and the lens that um, ID, you know, um, doctor has um, on, on the patient. Um, so, uh, you know, what, what was important for us is to, um, you know, uh, bring that, you know, core knowledge and, and uh, make it available to, you know, general, um, you know, hospital staff. So, you know, almost everyone will get, you know, the, the advice and knowledge that is, uh, you know, would be like, you know, having the ID, um, you know, physician by your side. Um, another, you know, uh, big problem for, you know, delivering the, the optimal, um, you know, care is uh, the fact that uh, a lot of the knowledge that is needed, a lot of the information um, that is needed for, you know, proper care is buried in the health records of the patient, which are spread over, you know, multiple encounters. Um, and um, in the high pace, you know, environments of the hospital, no one has, you know, enough time to go and study deep, you know, the patient records. So we, we said we need to, you know, help and bring um, that knowledge, you know, to the surface of what is relevant. Um, and, you know, because the, the information is not kind of organized and tracked al along the optimized clinical pathway for, um, you know, ID, uh, infectious disease treatment and management, it's very difficult to, you know, report on that data, to even, you know, understand to what extent the compliance with those guidelines happens and what is the outcome. And of course, you know, another thing that um, if you, you know, I, I would trust that, you know, many of you have been exposed um, to the hospital environments and there are a lot of handoffs, you know, between 
um, doc, you know, care team, you know, doctors, nurses, doctors, you know, in different uh, specialties. And for, you know, one of the things that is very important in um, infectious disease management is um, understanding, you know, kind of tuning and, and getting the right antibiotic to the patient as quickly as possible. So as soon as that information becomes, um, you know, available, the cultures come back. And, and a lot of it can be nowadays done pretty quickly with a rapid diagnostic. It, it's very important to make sure that it gets in the hands of the um, you know, physician that can change the course of therapy. And, and what happens currently is um, a lot of that information um, you know, is being telephoned. So, you know, someone in the lab sees the result. Um, so ID, you know, pharmacist, you know, look at that, and then they start, you know, calling physician or finding who's the right physician, you know, to receive that information to adjust the therapy. Um, so, oh, or, you know, serendipitously landed on the right slide. So um, one of the things, you know, here is that is very important is that, you know, transition from the empiric treatment, treatment to um, directed treatment. Just, you know, memorize the slide. I'm not going to look for it. I'll just <laughs> um, talk about it. So, and, and to make the right empiric decision is, um, um, so what, what you do, you know, here is, um, the, the information that, that you need is, um, you know, patient history. You also need the information about, you know, what is the uh, general state of the, you know, infectious disease and kind of the uh, microbiology available in, in the hospital. Um, because um, that could be, you know, a, a you know, predictor of uh, what would be, you know, the best antibiotic, the best treatment, because um, there, there is this, you know, um, concept that, or kind of the tool called antibiogram, which is um, kind of a, you know, drug bug um, pairing that would be, you know, representative of uh, what kind of antibiotics would be the most effective in the environment of a, you know, particular hospital, given what kind of bugs um, they're seeing in their hospital. But, um, and, you know, usually it's a big document that lives, uh, you know, that is produced by, you know, by the lab. And um, a lot of the physician, it's, it's generated, you know, uh, once a year, um, typically. And it's not something that is very easy for a physician to kind of read and um, apply to, you know, to their daily practice. So um, what we're doing is, you know, we're bringing this information, but we're also putting a lens, a specific lens of the patient history and making it even more specific um, to, to the patient. So in, in a way, you know, it's kind of a small step towards personalized medicine, um, making those, you know, very tight, you know, best decisions, best, you know, best prescriptions. Um, that, you know, we, we can make at that time before the, you know, samples are, are, you know, collected of the patient and sent for the lab for a, a targeted diagnosis. Um, and um, um, so what, what we're also doing in between is making sure that we take um, the, the um, information that comes from the labs and microbiology is a very, you know, tricky data to, to analyze and, and um, interpret. Um, so once we, you know, have that information, we also directly deliver to uh, the, the alerts, the insights um, that, um, you know, could be relevant to a pharmacist or treating physician so they can adjust 
um, you know, uh, therapy if, if necessary, because the um, you know time to treatment to change from empiric to you know directed treatment is uh, is very important. It needs to be done, you know, within um, you know two to three days, because beyond that, um, there is no point in changing. And um, you know you may be treating um, you know a patient with much broader uh, spectrum antibiotics that are creating that collateral damage, um, and also you know are more difficult for the patient to to deal with. So to be able to you know deliver that, uh, we need to bring together you know uh, and analyze data across multiple systems um, in in the hospital. Um, also, you know, uh, correlated with clinical guidelines and specific, you know, programs and workflows that um, exist in, in, in the specific, you know, hospital setting. Because um, even if, you know, uh, well, I haven't seen two hospitals that have, you know, <laughs> the same way they, you know, even organize their, you know, HL7 data. Uh, but there is even, you know, more variation in the clinical workflows um, across them. And we, you know, would not be able to, you know, do this all and deliver without um, help of, um, you know, Amazon um, AWS. This is where, you know, everything is hosted. And also to kind of, you know, uh, shortcut uh, and or, you know, expedite our time to market, um, you know, we um, brought in another AWS partner, Clear Data, to help us with um, security and HIPAA compliance on top of um, AWS. <clears throat> And um, so here, you know, you can see, you know, a few quotes from one of the, uh, uh, you know, latest implementations um, of our solution. Yeah, that, uh, it's um, currently available in five hospitals um, across U.S. Um, for, you know, in um, the first implementation that was at the, you know, East Jefferson Hospital, where, you know, we focused on uh, programmatic management of sepsis. Um, we um, at the end of last year, we published first results where we had a full year of data so we can do you know, year over year analysis. And we were able to show, uh, reduct, uh, show you know, com um, adherence to, you know, to the guidelines in the you know, 80 to 100 you know, on five me uh, metrics that we had, five measures, um, 80 to 100 percent you know, adherence um, on, on all of those measures. So what it means is that the care gets delivered consistently. Um, we also have seen 65% um, reduction in mortality in patients with severe sepsis. And uh, patients with sepsis uh, were you know, able to you know, reduce the length of stay by 0.7 days, which is uh, you know, tremendous impact on um, on the cost um, as well. So uh, with that, you know, thank you. Sorry for the technical difficulties. And back to Oksana. Thank you, Anna. <laughs> thank you. <clears throat> yeah, a great example. And um, I'm sure this is, um, everybody can, be relate, can relate to the fact that all of us, when we uh, have and necessity of using a hospital, we hope that we go in, we hope we get the right treatment, we hope we get the right medication when, when we happen to be there. Um, it's not necessarily always easy to make that happen. So every time we see examples like these, improving care for patients, it is um, just tremendously gratifying and rewarding to know that we're all contributing to that.
So to wrap up, a couple things I really, in addition to uh, being tremendously grateful to our partners for sharing their stories and to highlighting what types of applications are possible today. Again, remember we're dealing with regulated data, we're dealing with sophisticated decision support tools in the real world with real patient data. And um, this is something that can happen today and should be happening today more than it does. And the demand is definitely there in our customer base for solutions like these and many others. So uh, we at AWS are prepared to work with partners that are dedicated to the vertical. Uh, the, the ecosystem of partners that are active in this vertical is growing on AWS. So I think we're going to be seeing more and more opportunities to partner. And that was a great example <clears throat> Anna shared of partnering with Clear Data, which is a trusted long-term consulting partner that really understands compliance in healthcare and life sciences and <clears throat> is very actively involved in the industry. So I think what, what that also means is that we're building the momentum that is allowing us to move faster. So I would encourage all of you to think about how to accelerate your de solution development activities, how to accelerate the path to market and come to us and tell us what we can do to make your journey more successful. Obviously, look at the competency programs. If you're qualified, join. We will look forward to working with you. And um, last but not least, don't remember to fill out your evaluations on the mobile app. We appreciate your feedback. And um, thank you all for coming today. And we will take questions if anybody wants to raise them. Questions? Please. Yeah, yeah, Mike, Mike will be good. <coughs> okay, I think Pause is made for little people. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, so the, the thing that um, interests me is um, we, we all talk about moving to be, uh, become a data-driven organization. Um, but everything that we're talking about is about generating BI, which then goes to uh, someone to evaluate, which who then make some decisions, and you know perhaps we do some more R and D that sort of thing, and then we improve what we've got. Obviously, where we want to get to in the long term with this is to have a, a tighter loop, so we we generate insight which improves the services, and this can happen almost in an automated fashion. But what I'm seeing in trying to move in that direction is that uh, we end up needing to qualify um, and use GXP on increasingly larger pieces of that puzzle because we have to have the whole thing as be a tighter loop. So how do you see that as a problem that can be um, uh, easily solved where we're balancing the qualification needs uh, in order to make this tight clinical loop and also be able to provide um, the best results from the uh, using the best new techniques that are out there? I think, Sorry, it's yeah, a complex yeah, one. Great question. Probably a few questions within that one. Um, I don't know if any of our speakers want to handle a piece of that, Brad. Yeah, I have, just have a quick bit of feedback on that. So uh, I think what I heard is this idea of how do you drive the action and accountability around what these metrics tell you? Is that kind of what you're talking about? Versus just spawning a whole bunch of other you know, work that people have to do before they can take action? Yeah, if, if I can re, uh, reframe what I said, if I want to use... Um, at the moment, if I want to use uh, machine learning and some advanced analytics 
on what uh, some medical software is doing, then uh, that's fine, I can go away and do that. Uh, and I can then decide to change the, the, the software accordingly. But if I want to make it a real data-driven loop, then I have to qualify those pieces, and that's going to be very difficult for my organization to, to handle. Mm -hmm. Just a real quick uh, point in our world, this whole idea of healthcare relationship management is about not just having the analytic, but actually having the some kind of a case or action driven based on what the information is telling you, and having that be assigned to the right people, and you can have it kind of sequential or uh, have multiple people involved. So ultimately, then you're kind of closing the loop and, and measuring, like, am I actually making an impact? Yeah. I think another thing to factor is that, that the FDA understands this problem and that the FDA's guidance on software as a medical device has been pretty clear in where they're moving, which is before they said, well, medical device, we've got to go do our, our full validation of everything and what that device is. But uh, software as a medical device looks more like in the, the next generation, uh, an app store kind of approval. So once your algorithm and, and framework of algorithms have been approved as viable, or even you as a vendor as a viable vendor, you can very rapidly go through these cycles to get updates. And obviously, we have to be really careful if we're just letting machine learning data suddenly train a whole new medical recommendation, because there could be an, an error that, that, that's quite dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that new regulation around software as a medical device opens up the field for, for all these very rapid data-driven loops, and, and that's why they're opening it up, because they know we're trying to use machine learning and use these kind of data techniques in, in building things that, that go all the way out to the point of care. Mm. Could I restate the, the problem then from AWS's perspective, which is how are you going to help organizations like us uh, get across that qualification gap with increasingly complex deep learning and similar kind of uh, software that you're making? I, you know, just something I wanted to yeah, mention sure. as well. So I, I think, you know, the big part of it is not, you know, just technology. It, it's, you know, generating evidence, generating data, and it takes time, and especially in the clinical space. Um, so I, I mentioned, you know, for us to generate in, and show, you know, the outcomes. Yeah, we see some trends early on, um, but, you know, we had to, for instance, for sepsis to do like a year over year to account for seasonality. There, you know, it just, you know, it will take time and, and it will take, you know, mountains of um, data to, to generate the evidence. You know, I, you know, I feel that, you know, technical problem there is the easier problem, you know, to solve. Yeah, and, and another piece to the puzzle is what's your data management life cycle, right? Because to a certain extent, it's easy to just take all the data and mangle it and put it in, into a system of record and hope that something good comes out of it. But sometimes it pays off to think through the data strategy ahead of time, uh, think what really supports your regulated package, and then really you know, focus the validation, the GXP-related efforts on the data that truly need to be categorized that way. So, so on one hand, it's harder work up front. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, it pays off in the long run. That's great. Thank you, everyone. Sure. We're getting a wink that it's time for us to, um, to allow the next session to come into the room. So thank you again, everyone, for coming. And thank you to our speakers. Uh, for sharing their experience, and um, we look forward to working with all of you in the future. Thank you. Thank you.